On an evening in early December 2018, the young CEO of a cryptocurrency exchange reportedly dies while on his honeymoon in India. This death is not announced to customers for another month. And when they're told Gerald Cotton is the only person to hold the passwords to their funds, conspiracy theories grow, leaving some to wonder, could Gerald Cotton still be alive? Honeymoon, moving the body, all the missing money. It was like, but what happened? A Death in Cryptoland. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So a question for you. Is your phone near you right now? Have you much been on it uh, over the course of this morning, looking at it on a regular basis? If you're worried that the answer is you've been on the phone too much, well, you're not alone. I have a pre-internet brain. I remember what it was like, and I remember getting my first cell phone and and being really mindful of like how many times I would check it in a day. I remember going to my first job with my flip phone and keeping it in my purse and feeling like guilty when I would check it. And so every time I would reach for my phone, particularly in the evening, the time would just sort of disappear. That's Alex Merrick. She's a mom of three, graduate student, works full time. She decided she needed to recover some of her time and started by looking at how and when she was using her smartphone. Instagram in particular, I would find, I would get pulled into very emotionally affecting stories or images. And so in the fall of 2023, I was going to be starting like a new role, new course, supporting my kids in school. And I thought, I don't even have like 10 to 20 minutes to spare in an evening or in a day just reaching for this phone to like kind of look at Instagram. I thought, I'm just going to take a break from it. It is actually something that I had been thinking about for about a year. So while deleting Instagram helped, Alex could still feel that phone calling to her. It had me really examine those habits, even just carrying the phone from room to room or like going for a walk and having it in my pocket and like holding it in my hand. I started to become like really acutely aware of those habits. And so I would start to purposefully leave it in a different space. I did log back in in November just to see, and I had messages in there and and a couple of them were like, hey, where did you go? I just wrote those friends and said, I just needed some, some space and time. And most people were like, yeah, I need to do the same thing. Kashmir Hill made a similar but more drastic resolution. She is a technology reporter with the New York Times. And on the cusp of this new year, she decided she wanted to stop using her phone entirely, which meant returning to the glory days of the flip phone. We're going to go in this store because mommy needs to ask them if they have flip phones. What are flip phones? They're really, really simple phones that are that can't do all the things that mama's phone can do. More things that your phone can do? No, less things to try to get mom to use her phone less. Now, just over a month into her smartphone-free lifestyle, Kashmir Hill is here. We should say she's joining us not on her phone, but via her laptop. Kashmir, hello. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you on the program. Why did you decide to take this step to get rid of, or at the very least, stop using your smartphone? I mean, I had that similar feeling that Alex was describing of I just was looking at my phone too much. Um, I was getting Apple screen time reports and every week it would tell me I was spending more than five hours, sometimes six hours on my phone every day. And I realized when I added that up for 2023, I had spent three months Mm. just staring at my phone. And I was increasingly getting a kind of, um, it felt like it was out of control, my phone usage. You wrote in the Times that your biggest regret of 2023 was your relationship with your smartphone. 
Yeah, I just started having a lot of anxiety around the phone use. And obviously, smartphones are great in so many ways, and it can be helpful to me. But I found that I was just reaching for it kind of uncontrollably. And my screen time reports actually told me that I was picking up the phone more than 100 times every day. So why didn't you try some of those strategies like uh, we heard earlier? You, you can delete certain apps. You can switch your phone to gray so that the, the, the screen looks less appealing. Why not take those steps? I actually did try Grayscale first, and that that was helpful. Um, it's kind of hard to find on the iPhone. You have to go into the accessibility settings, but it made my phone less stimulating. Um, I mean, I, I thought it would kind of be fun to go back to using a flip phone, and that was part of the appeal for me. And I just I kind of wanted a drastic reset, and I wanted to end the year not looking at a screen, um, at least not a small screen. So it turns out that actually getting a flip phone isn't the easiest thing to do. You recorded yourself trying to get one of these phones. Have a listen. All right, so we're upgrading from your iPhone 15 uh -huh. to the flip phone. I don't know why it offers that, and then we cannot upgrade our customers to this. But you're more than welcome to get your flip phone online <laughs> okay. or walk into a Spectrum mobile store. <laughs> do you think they even I am trying to switch to a dumb phone, <laughs> like a okay. flip phone. Like a flip phone? And I wonder if you guys carry them in this store. Yeah, we do. Uh, oh, you do? We have them stocked up. It's interesting. They talk about upgrading from your fancy iPhone to a flip phone. How difficult was it to track down um, one of these phones? So there are actually a lot of what are called minimalist phones out there on the market these days, at least, you know, a hundred different models. Um, but if anybody wants to do this, you need to check with your carrier first to find out which models they support. And it turned out for my phone carrier, they only support one kind of uh, light phone, dumb phone, um, flip phone. And it's not ordered that often, I don't think. And so it was hard to find. Your seven-year-old you say, was in disbelief that you wanted to get rid of your fancy phone for this phone. Yeah, so we went into the store and I had my two daughters with me and they're looking at all of these devices with, you know, very sleek with touch screens. And I said, this is the one I'm going to get. And they start playing with the flip phone and touching the little, you know, plastic keys. And my daughter said, are you, are you joking? This is really the <laughs> phone you want. And then, and then immediately she said, well, can I have your iPhone then? <laughs> so you have this phone now. Describe the phone that you have. Um, so I'm still using it. It is, it's like a little black clamshell. You, there's a screen on the outside that tells you the time. You open it up. There's a tiny dull screen on the inside and it has the plastic keys. You know, it has nine um, numbers and that's what I have to use to text. If you remember that, it's called T9 texting. It was a nightmare so if one. I remember correctly. Yeah, it is, it is, it is difficult. It made me not want to text very much. Aside from that, I mean, and this is part of it. How has your relationship with your phone changed since you moved from, as you say, the smartphone to the dumb phone? I mean, it was really hard at first to switch to the flip phone. One of the hardest things for me is I was so reliant on Google mapping. Um, and I realized I didn't know how to get anywhere more than 15 minutes away. And so I had to look up directions in advance. I had to kind of um, get to know where I live and understand the names of roads and, and how they connect to each other. And so it wasn't just about changing the relationship with my phone. It was also kind of just changing my relationship with my life and how I do things. Um, and one of the big changes for me was about two weeks into the experiment after having switched the flip phone, mm. uh, I noticed that 
I had lost what I call my thumb twitch. And this was a kind of physical urge I had in the first couple of weeks where I would put my, my hand in my pocket and reach for the phone and try to kind of rub my thumb along it. And I would pull out my flip phone and it's just, there's nothing there. There's nothing stimulating. Um, and after about two weeks, I stopped having that urge to kind of look at my phone every time I was slightly bored or my mind was able to wander. And that was really calming for me. It was, I could just kind of be in a moment and just kind of just rest in it, you know, and just let my brain think rather than, you know, looking at email or, or looking at Instagram or TikTok or, or yeah, just looking at the internet. Did you feel less informed in those moments? Because one of the reasons why we pull out the phone in those when we're standing in the line or what have you is because we feel like something is happening this fear of missing out something's happening and we need to know what's going on yeah one of my colleagues at the times asked me the same question and i said i felt less instantly informed you know i still was spending plenty of time in front of my computer and it's just over the course of this experiment the internet lived on my computer rather than living attached to my body and so i was still you know getting the news reading emails reading newsletters you know looking at social media but i was it was confined to my computer and that was really nice for me. Like I really appreciated the chance to unplug my brain from the internet, you know, um, regularly and for hours at a time. You did started doing something that, I mean, has become kind of a social taboo, which is you started calling people and leaving voicemail <laughs> for people. How did they respond when the phone rang or when, I mean, I don't know whether people check voicemail anymore, but when you said, oh, I left you a message. People, a lot of people don't like using their phone as a phone anymore. Um, I found that people very often didn't pick up. Um, my mom always picked up the phone and one of my good friends from college would pick up the phone, but almost everyone else lets it go to voicemail. And then a lot of people didn't listen to the voicemails mm -hmm. because they would send me text, you know, asking me questions about something I told them in the voicemail. Um, so that was, that was, it was, it was frustrating that people didn't want to call, didn't want to talk on the phone because texting was so annoying for me. But when I did talk to people, I mean, it's just you have deeper conversations when you're having a conversation by voice rather than by text. And so I actually had some incredible connections I made over over the course of the month. But it, it was hard to get people to hop on the phone with me. We heard, I, would, I would call somebody and then they would text me back. At the beginning of the conversation, we heard you with one of your kids and, and you said you're going to shop for a new phone. And she says, does this mean that you're going to be on the phone more? And you said, no, you're trying to use the phone less. What was your seven-year-old's reaction once that phone was out of the picture and you had a bit more time? So there were several times over the course of the month where she would be like, take a picture of this, take a picture of this. Can you, can you take a picture of this? And I'd say, well, I, I can't, I mean, I have a camera on that flip phone, but it's not great. So I'd usually say no. So it was interesting to see the way I have taught her to kind of need to take a picture of amazing things. And that made me a little sad. Um, but by the end of the month, I asked her, you know, what did you, what did you think about me switching the flip phone? And she said, I like it better. Um, you don't look at your phone as much and you have more time to play with me. It kind of breaks which, your heart when you hear that. It, it really did. Um, I also asked my husband what he thought, you know, if he'd noticed any changes. And he said that my face looked less stressed. And he said I should try staying on the flip phone for a year. 
We're going to talk in just a moment with a researcher who has looked into phone use and problematic phone use in particular. Um, one of the things that you talk about in, in your piece, though, just finally, is that you speak as a reporter. You speak with people who are, this is a good idea that you've got the flip phone, but they don't buy that this is actually going to change how we relate with our phones because the phones are designed to keep us, and the apps are designed to keep us on there. So what do we need to do if we really want to think differently about how how our relationship with the phone can be can be altered. Yeah, I mean, I um I heard from so many people when they saw my phone, they said I wish I could do that. They actually proposed that, you know, we have dry January in the new year, maybe we should have flip phone February where everyone just switches to a flip phone for a month to kind of do a mental reset. But absent that, I mean, being mindful about the the phone usage. A lot of experts I talked to compared the kind of habitual smartphone use we have of, you know, you you look at your phone and then you're trying to do one thing and then you just check kind of five apps and then you put your phone away and then you take your phone back out a couple of minutes later and do the th- same thing. They compared it to mindless eating. Mm. And so just having more awareness about how often you're reaching for your phone, maybe not keeping it on your person when you don't need to, you know, put it on a counter in your house with the noise on. And if you get a text message or a call, go check it. Keeping it out of your bedroom at night is just universal advice. And it's so important. I I have to confess, I kept my iPhone in my room at night um, before this. And I often wake up in the middle of the night and I would end up reaching for it. And then I would be up for an hour, two hours, three hours. Mm. And while I was on the flip phone, I would wake up. And after a few minutes, I would just go back to sleep. So these things can really impact our, our health, our sleep, and just, just our, our being with other people. Just put the phone away every once in a while. Kashmir, thank you very much. Kashmir Hill is a technology reporter for the New York Times. She traded in her iPhone 15, as you heard, for a flip phone back in December. And she wrote about this in the New York Times in a fascinating piece earlier this week. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Recent Canadian study looked at phone use globally. This is a familiar story, I think, for many of us um, in terms of how much we use our phones. There were participants in 195 countries, the largest study of its kind. Jay Olson is a postdoctoral fellow in psychology at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. He's the lead researcher on the studies with me in studio. Good morning. Morning. You looked at problematic smartphone use. What does that mean? So problematic smartphone use is just when your uh, smartphone use interferes with your life in negative ways. And so things like it interfering with your sleep, like we were just uh, speaking about, or if it's interfering with with your concentration at work. And so if you're saying things like you um, miss work that you planned because of smartphone use, or um, you end up using your smartphone much longer than you intend, um, uh, these kinds of behaviors we would categorize as problematic. Some people categorize them as addictive behaviors. Yeah. I mean, you could draw a line. If you miss work because you're drinking too much, people might say that you have a problem with addiction. Is mm-hmm. addiction, when it comes to smartphone, the right word that we should be using? 
So researchers still debate that, right? So they don't know um, whether it would be considered uh, uh, merely problematic or, or, or something more. So usually we use the term problematic just as, uh, as, as kind of the neutral, uh, uh, the neutral term until it's kind of decided upon um, uh, um, how severely we should think about this. What did you find? I mean, how much time are we spending on our smartphones? Um, so for this one, we were kind of looking at like the um, subjective consequences of problematic smartphone use. And, uh, and basically what we found is that um, um, across the world, uh, this kind of problematic smartphone use is, is rising and it's uh, um, higher in, in women than it is in, in men across the large majority of, of, of the countries that, uh, that we looked at. And so, uh, and, and so this kind of confirmed that this is, is kind of a global problem and a growing problem. Is it possible though to define, I mean, if we're talking about problematic, somebody mm -hmm. might get that notification from their phone on that Sunday morning that tells that you've been on the phone for five hours a day or six mm -hmm. hours a day. Is six hours a day problematic? Is seven hours a day problematic? Do we know what the number is or? Yeah, so there's no number per se in terms of screen time, right? So um, um, you can be a journalist and, and be on your phone seven hours per day and it's part of your work. And, and then after that, you go home and you live kind of a normal life. Uh, um, or somebody can use their phone for, say, um, one hour per day, but it's while they're, while they're trying to sleep. And so that um, interferes with their life. And so it's kind of less about the screen time per se, and it's more about the consequences. And so there's this uh, standardized short scale that uh, that we use, where it basically asks about the different things like withdrawal symptom symptoms, whether you feel uh, when you don't have your phone on you that you feel very anxious. The kind uh, of like phantom kind of, kind of buzz that people have if yeah, they don't yeah. have the phone and they're thinking that oh it must be buzzing in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And then uh, and then so basically people respond to these items and then we kind of uh, um, add those up and and there's kind of a threshold. And if they pass that threshold, then we would consider this behavior problematic. You said something earlier, which is that women are more likely to exhibit these behaviors than men. Why is that? So one potential reason for that is that women generally use their phones for more um, social purposes than men do. So things like instant messaging and uh, social media and that. And usually it's the social uses of the phone that lead to the more um, habitual use. And, and this often leads to the problematic use. And, and so we think that part of it might be because of these different kind of usage patterns that we see by gender. What is this doing to us? Kashmir talked about um, feeling calmer. I mean, saying that her face looked less stressed is one thing too, but that she that that she actually felt different, not having that device tethered to her and not having access to all that information mm -hmm. um, at the drop of a hat. What do we know about what this is doing to our brains, to our cognition? So that's kind of the big uh, question in the field, and uh, the proliferation of smartphones. It's kind of like this natural experiment where it's happening, and then now we're just starting to see what some of these these consequences may be. And uh, and trying to run these really controlled studies is challenging, given that the the large majority of the population has smartphones now. Although there's been um, um, studies linking this to things like uh, um, anxiety, depression, and, uh, and and things like reductions in uh, sleep quality. And so um, we know that these effects are, are, are there. The big question is, is just like how, how large uh, um, are these effects, right? So um, we're trying to quantify kind of the magnitude of these. And, uh, and probably the main thing that we see um, from our studies when we have people reduce their phone use is they just say that they have so much more time in the day. And so they have more time for... Um, socializing in person, more time to sleep, more time to study. Um, one participant said he, he had more time to polish his boots, which he's been trying to plan for two years, but he just never <laughs> had the time for it. And so because smartphones kind of vacuum up all of the free time uh, that we have, once you remove or reduce this kind of smartphone use, 
um, then you have more free time to do these behaviors that can improve well-being. So in the last minute or so that we have, I mean, again, understanding that these devices are built so that we spend as much time on them as possible. Mm -hmm. What are a couple of nudges that you would recommend to get people into the headspace where they could reduce the amount of time that they spend on their phones. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that we've tested are the ones we've we've talked about, the grayscale, the keeping the phone outside the bedroom at, at night. Um, uh, one of the other ones that seems to be quite effective is just to reduce as many notifications as possible. So keep on notifications for phone calls and stuff like that. But for uh, um, social media and that, uh, trying to reduce the buzzing, reduce the kind of notification badge there. And so just trying to keep your phone as quiet as possible so that when you check it, you're checking it more intentionally and not because your phone is uh, pulling you into it. And just peering over the desk to see whether your phone's in front of you. <laughs> I mean, you're researching other people, but just finally... Mm -hmm. Is your own behavior different now because of the research that you're doing? Yeah, so this study was kind of based on uh, on on some things that I kind of tried with uh, my own behavior and, and found to work, and then we tested this in in a study. And kind of um, my philosophy for phones is like you buy the smallest one that you can, you keep it for as long as you can. Um, maybe having like a giant screen and a super fast phone kind of draws you into it more. And, and so I kind of lag behind the technology and I kind of live in the past there. And that seems to help. Jay, thank you very much. Thank you. Jay Olson is a postdoctoral fellow in psychology at the University of Toronto. It's a new year. Are you rethinking the way that you interact with your smartphone? Maybe you've cut back on your phone use. Maybe you want to do that. Have you made changes in terms of what the device looks like, the apps that are on there, keeping it out of the bedroom? Maybe you have gone to the flip phone. Let us know how you are changing your relationship with your device. You can email us the current at cbc.ca or use that phone, send us a voice note at thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.